Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hello, it's Hugh Ballou and Russell Dennis for another edition of the Nonprofit Exchange. Hugh's calling in from the mountains of central Virginia, central western Virginia. And uh, Russell, you're just a little bit south of Denver, Colorado, mountain, a mile high mountain, Colorado. I'm just southeast here in Aurora. And uh, it's out here. We've been doing this for a little while. Russell was a very faithful attendee. And one day I said, why don't you be co-host? And so um, I got to work really hard to keep up with Russell. He's, uh, he's a thoughtful, well-learned and wise gentleman. Our guest today is going to be talking about accountability, but it's, hmm, the word accountable comes to mind. So Suzanne, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste any more time. People want to know who Suzanne Smith is, what do you do, and then what do you do, and why do you do it? So welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Introduce yourself to our, our listeners and our viewers. Oh, thank you, Hugh, and thank you, Russ, so much for inviting me today. I'm really excited. Um, my name is Suzanne Smith, and I've been a career development worker, meaning that uh, after college, I joined the Peace Corps, and like so many people, um, just after the Peace Corps, decided really to make my career living overseas and doing development work. So I've done that for the past 25 years. I started out, I'm sorry, go ahead. What was that, development work? Development work, uh, overseas humanitarian, some people call it humanitarian aid. Um, in the business, we call it development. So connect the dots from then to now. So I went to a Peace Corps sent me to Niger, West Africa, and I worked at a rural clinic recuperating malnourished children. And um, after that, I went back to the States and got a master's in psychology of all things. And then I ended up going to Bangladesh and studying microcredit with uh, Mohammed Yunus at the Grameen Bank. And that was a real eye-opener. Um, it's one of the poorest countries in the world, by many standards, the poorest country in the world. And um, I got to see urban poverty up close and personal. And it was quite shocking. I had seen poverty in Niger, in Niger, but it was rural and it was a little different. So that was a big shock to my system. Um, and it taught me a lot. There's a lot of work going on in Bangladesh. There's large projects. And even pilot projects can be 3,000 people. So I really got um, interested in microcredit when I was living in Bangladesh. And then I was uh, hired by Save the Children, and I was hired to go to Mozambique and to run their microcredit program. And that was in 2000. And I was right at the HIV, AIDS, was getting more and more um, press and the importance in Africa, it was being seen as a real problem. And so after my contract with Save the Children ended, I decided to work in HIV-AIDS litigation because I could see the impact of HIV-AIDS on our microcredit clients. 
Um, it was having a big impact across all sectors of society. So I ended up staying in Mozambique, and that's where um, PEPFAR, the Presidential Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, President Bush um, allocated $15 billion uh, throughout the world, and, and Mozambique got a big chunk of that. So I was there when that money was you know, coming in and trying to hit the ground and be effective, and I was hired with a colleague to support the community groups who were working on HIV AIDS and trying to get sick people to the clinic to get tested and then get on antiretrovirals. And, um, and what we found out when we were in Mozambique working with these community groups who were doing fantastic work, just volunteer, all volunteers, um, going door to door literally. Um, they were doing such great work and um, the NGOs wanted to support their work by giving them money, funding them to expand and get more people treated. And that's where we started to find out that there were big gaps in their ability to account for the donor funds that they were receiving. Oh my, it never happens in America, does it? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Suzanne, we, we, she had to switch computers for us. Um, hers wasn't charging and she's, she's um, acquisitioned her husband's computer. Sit a little closer. We've, um, we've not run the, the sound up a little bit. so. That way you'd be a little bit closer to the microphone. Um, so what about, what was the inspiration to start Accountable Partners? Uh, is there a connection between accountable and accounting? Exactly, exactly. So as we, um, as we worked with these community groups and saw that they had no real ability to account for the donor funds we were giving them, um, we decided to look around and we knew someone had developed a simplified system for accounting. It shouldn't be the whole big, you know, owner system that we use here in the States, but something simple, but still with the integrity of double entry accounting. Um, that would really help them manage their funds and know how much money they had and report transparently back to us, the donor. So we looked around our province and got samples of what people were, other donors were asking the community groups for. And it was very, it was really varied and quite ad hoc. And so we were a little concerned, but we said, well, someone has to have a, a real solid system, right? Somewhere in Mozambique. So we looked throughout Mozambique, and we still didn't find anything. It was actually quite a shock to us. But we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. So we did a worldwide search. And we looked far and wide for double entry accounting for donor funds for community groups. And we found a lot of good accounting programs and systems for individual entrepreneurs and also for microcredit groups. So there are systems out there for those two, those two groups. But for donor funds, for community groups to account in a double, with double entry accounting for donor funds, there was nothing. And that was what came as a real shock to us because we saw that that was really necessary for the reports to be accurate that they were sending us. So we took the next few years and we piloted and really perfected a simplified double entry accounting system that was handwritten because these groups in Mozambique didn't have uh, computers, they didn't have electricity, and when they did have computers, the computers we found were getting stolen, getting viruses, or maybe just one person knew how to use it. And when you just have the accounting in one person's hands, that opens you up to all sorts of trouble. Wow, wow. 
So how about for, for people that aren't familiar with accounting, uh, explain for the novice person what it, you mean by double entry accounting. That's a great question. I actually didn't know myself when I first started. <laughs> um, double entry accounting has been, you heard debits and credits, and it's quite, the way we teach it in America, it can be quite confusing and quite counterintuitive. Basically, the way to boil it down in simple terms, um, you need to record every transaction, every, let's say, receipt. Every time you get money or you spend money, you have to record it in two places. Why? Because you want to know where it came from or where it went. So if it goes into your bank account, if the donor gives you money into your bank account, you need to record that money in your bank book. So you know that you keep track of how much money is in your bank. You can get bank statements, but you want to know all the time how much money is in your bank without having to go to the bank. That's your bank book. And if the donor gives that same receipt that the donor is given money, you record it in the income ledger or a piece of paper showing how much money the donor has given you. So you have it in two different places. It'll make more sense, I think, if I explain costs. So let's say you buy something. Um, let's say you buy a phone card so you can make phone calls, prepaid phone cards. They're pretty common all over the world. If that money came out of your bank, you'd want to, you'd want to show that, you, let's say you bought, took $10 out of the bank to buy $10 worth of phone cards. You'd want to write that in your bank book. You'd have $10 out of the bank for the phone cards. And then you want to keep track of how much you've spent on phone cards. So that's called an expense ledger, another piece of paper. We're going to say phone cards, and we're going to keep track of how much money we spend in the phone cards on phone cards. And that way we can tell donors and track how much money we spent on the different items the donor is funding. And at the same time, we know how much money we have at any given time. So it's a double entry because we always want to know exactly how much money we have. And we also need to know where have we spent that money. That's double entry accounting. Just knowing how much you have on one side and the other side is where have we spent that money. So Russell's had a varied past and he's worked uh, in the money realm for many, many years. So Russell, it, it sounds like she's cracked the code to make the complex simple. What do you think? Well, if something's not easy to access, understand, and use, people aren't going to do it. And uh, we've, we've shared a little bit uh, over coffee and, and Part of the big frustration for people that fund nonprofits is uh, getting information to make sure that what we're doing is working the way that we thought it would work. And money's just this, one of the, the key things to track. Uh, it's probably, uh, although the systems around it are complicated, the easiest thing to track. Because when you're talking in terms of human capital and making shifts in people's lives, those are a little bit trickier to measure. But money is the one thing that everybody sees, and they want to know where it's going. With this system, it, when you get into areas where you don't have uh, electricity, you don't have computers, uh, you don't have people that have access to those things, you still need the information. Money and resources are still going into these places. And so uh, one of the things we shared, and I kind of like to have Suzanne speak to it, 
was actually a little bit of frustration being on the ground in those areas that are remote. So talk a little bit about uh, about that frustration with with trying to gather that information and how that motivated you to actually build the system you have today. Thank you. Yes. Um, I, you know, we started out um, with an HIV AIDS group. A beautiful nurse had to quit her job um, as a nurse because she had HIV. And she was taking antiretrovirals and she was, she was doing very well. And she started going door to door in her community and finding other people that she thought might have HIV and asking them to go to the hospital with her and get tested. And when they got tested and they got on their antiretrovirals, they got better and they joined her. So that very, very organically, this group emerged um, doing wonderful work. And so we, we went to help them. We were sitting under a mango tree. They had no office um, and it would rain, we'd get wet. So on the clinic grounds, the, the hospital grounds, there was a big, beautiful tree we'd sit under and have our meetings. And we talked to her about expanding her program, um, giving the volunteers that were working for her small subsidies to make up for the time they were losing um, with their volunteer work and building them an office, things like that. So we were meeting under a mango tree and um, they definitely wanted an office and they were very excited about it. And it was hard for us to, we wanted to give them the money and we had the money to give them and we had more money to give them than they could probably handle. And that was the frustrating part is donors get a little, they'll dole out small amounts of money when the accounting's not great, but there's a lot of trust involved and you can see the good work on the ground and it's there, it's verifiable. But donors are so hesitant to really fund and upscale good programs when the accounting part isn't there. And we knew that this program could grow and expand a lot if they could show that they could account for the money. But that's not something we can teach them overnight. Accounting, even simplified accounting, takes time to learn and practice. So we were not able, the frustration for us is we were not able to give as much money as we wanted to in the beginning because they didn't know how to account for it. So we were helping them do the books. And I, I don't know how many um, people out there have been in this position, but sometimes I've seen this a lot. The community group's doing great work. They don't know how to account for the funds, so the donor really steps in and does the reports for them. <laughs> um, it's just sometimes that's just what you have to do, but it doesn't build capacity in the um, community group, does it, to really understand that system and um, for the next donor, too. And, and the other frustration for us was that really kind of shocking was because each donor had a different system they were asking for, none of it was simplified accounting and none of it was double entry accounting. And any community organization that was getting money from one donor, maybe they learned their system, maybe it was on one piece of paper and just a list of receipts. I saw that also. Um, when they get another donor, they would, the other donor would ask for other things. And so now they're accounting in two different ways for two different donors. None of it translated. So the reason we designed this system um, so that there'd just be one accounting system they had to learn that would be adequate for all donors. 
It would meet or exceed all donor requirements. I've got, you got my curiosity up. Can you talk about um, specifically, wh what ways did you simplify accounting? I'm, you got my curiosity, so tell me. Yeah, well, the debits, we started with um, changing the language. So debits and credits, there's an informal accounting, there's a T system, and there's debits and credits. And um, we decided that we would use normal language in and out. The money goes into the bank or it comes out of the bank. Yeah, the money in the expense ledgers, you just list the money you spent. You're not debiting or crediting an expense ledger, you're simply listing in your expense ledger uh, on your phone cards, for instance, how much money you spent that month. So we took debits and credits out of it. We took the T system out of it. Um, so it was just use normal language. Every, every, you know, we, we did the system in Portuguese, um, piloted in Portuguese, and again, just normal language. Every, anyone could understand. And then we also took the chart of accounts and changed it a bit. So um, when donors give money to a community organization, there's a budget. Maybe the donors, for this purpose of this example, let's say they're funding three things, phone cards, rent, and um, transportation, yeah? So if that's, if that's the budget the donor's given, you take those line items, yeah? Phone cards, um, transportation, and rent, and we make each of those an expense in its own on a piece of paper in the expense ledger. So it's a line item. So we don't say it's a chart of accounts, we simply take the budget line items the donor gave, make one piece of paper, yeah, with that expense line item name, we track it that way. So you still have all of your books. It's, uh, well, it's, it's a language, I think. So you have cash goes in, you have phone cards. Uh, in simple terms, instead of uh, a debit or a credit, you have something that goes in, something that comes out. Exactly. Uh, so that uh, that helps. And so, how have how have uh, donors that have seen this responded to this system? We got we were very well received um, in Mozambique. The um, the CNCS, the National Committee to Fight HIV/AIDS, um, CNCS in Portuguese, um, they sent a lot of their um, field staff to us for training. Um, accountant, particularly donor accountants, love it. Um, in the beginning, when I'm first starting um, to explain it to accountants, there's kind of furrowed brows and they're very um, skeptical. And I just say, give me a chance to go through the whole system. Wait, and they're like, wait, no, because uh, uh, I'm changing what they know, right? Um, and at the end, they just say, wow, thank you so much, because I had no way to take what I know as an accountant and give that information to this community-based organization. But you've simplified it, and I can take what this new system, and I can give it to them. So they're quite, um, they're quite happy in the end, despite their um, protests at the beginning. How could this system uh, change the way that funding organizations or foundations measure things? Is there an opportunity here for them to, to look at measuring things in a way that would facilitate more effective and more timely reporting? Absolutely. 
Um, well, one, one big change that we talked about uh, a second ago was that donors could, if they got these um, reports that were accurate and transparent, they could increase donor funding. They could scale up projects in a way that they'd hesitate to without those reports. The other way is that if we had just one accounting system for community groups, just one, and everyone agreed on it because it's sound, it has integrity, um, it, it does everything it needs to do, then when donors leave an organization, another donor comes in, they don't have to start from scratch. So some donors, whoever the first donor to say, hey, let's adopt this system with this group, they would teach that group that system. And after, I'm gonna say a year of training and mentoring, because really training and mentoring is the heart of this system. It's not really that complicated uh, you know, it's a bank book and a cash book. It's an income ledger and expense ledgers. So it's four, four books. But really knowing how to deal with all the strange things that come up in the field, right? What happens when you buy something from a vendor who doesn't have a receipt? There's a woman in the village selling baskets and you need to get some baskets. What do you do in that situation? Yeah. How do you handle cash advances? Uh, what do you do if some money disappears? So there's all sorts of real-life situations that occur that um, could feel like an obstacle to implementing the system. And that's why it's really about having that long mentoring relationship between the donor and the community-based organization over time so that no matter what happens in, over that year, they figure out, oh, okay, that's how we do it we can keep moving forward and we can keep producing these accurate and transparent financial reports no matter what happens because thing, things happen people you know roofs leak and things you know get stolen and misplaced and so and there's also a whole my system also is not just the physical you know cash book bank book income expense ledger we also have a whole safe handling of money um, section so we really talk about things like every time money changes hands someone has to sign for it I think you know so much is based on trust you know in communities so much is based on trust and we don't want you to mistrust anyone but we just say trust your systems <laughs> even though you trust this person put in systems so that if this person leaves the organization that the system doesn't crash with them so you talk about not doing accounting on a computer. That's counterintuitive. We all open up, we log into QuickBooks Online, and we download our bank stuff. That's sort of what we do, isn't it? Yeah, so the, the program that we've developed is clearly for people who don't have computers or don't have electricity. But I also believe that it's for people in community groups that may have computers, may have electricity, but still accounting may not be appropriate on the computer for those groups. And let me tell you a little bit about what, who, what those groups might look like. Many of these community groups are started by really passionate, charismatic people from all walks of life. And oftentimes the director of the organization herself or himself may not be able to use a computer but maybe someone in the organization can. So why not give them the accounts to do an Excel, for instance? 
And there's a good argument for still keeping it on paper, even when maybe one person knows how to use a computer or two. And one of, that, one of those arguments is that computer-based systems aren't that simple. And our system that we created is really for anyone in any walk of life. Even with a fifth grade education, they should be able to use this system. What happens too often that we've seen in the field is that in this community-based organization, there'll be one person doing the books, <clears throat> one person knows how to use the computer in Excel. They have won a lot of power. And you never want to concentrate power, a lot of power on any one person because there's corruption issues that become more prevalent. But even if they're just completely honest, and most of them are, right? Most of us are very honest. Um, if that person, something happens to them, they get sick or they have to leave their job for that position, the whole system kind of crumbles because it, it lives only in that person. So the community groups that don't ha have a, a bunch of different people who understand the computerized system, those are the community groups our system is for. Because we can teach, we can cross-train a variety of people in the organization. And what happens when, let's say, four people or five people in the organization really understand our system? Well, it creates a sort of transparency within the organization. If you or I can just go into our organization, open up a book, and see how money was spent last month, with our, you know, just take the book off the shelf and see, oh, I see how, how much money was spent on phone cards. That's already an anti-corruption measure. It's transparent and it's accessible to ordinary members of the community organization. That's that's one of the biggest pluses of cross-training variety of people in the organization. So one, if someone gets sick, the main person keeping the books, a lot of other people can just you know, slip right into that position. And also just allowing other people to see what's happening financially in this organization. It doesn't have to be a mystery. And I think computerized accounting systems, even Excel, can feel like a black box. We're not quite sure what that computerized system is doing. It may spit out the information we need, but it's not transparent. And so by putting things on paper and making it accessible, it adds a whole other level of transparency that often isn't available in computerized systems. Well, those, those systems are only as good as what information is entered into them. Uh, we had an old tech term in the old days, garbage in, garbage out. I don't think that's changed much. And so it's knowing what to put into that system that's lost in the shuffle. And uh, uh, I, I told you a story about a uh, teacher that I had that was a pen and ink type of person uh, when we had lunch, but she insisted upon doing that. And she was doing that 20 years later, much to her students' dismay. But they needed to understand how things fit into the system and transactions. And if you didn't have a working knowledge of how to move that money around on paper, what you put into the computer system would could be a lot harder to untangle. <laughs> and so it is. It is. It is all about accountability, and that's that's the interesting piece that we didn't really discuss. Uh, the the accountability. Uh, is teaching them how to enter that, but talk a little bit about the, the accountability and the internal controls and how this system is able to, to capture that and set that up offline so that you can exercise it. Yeah, 
what's nice in a paper-based system is that um, for every entry into the cash book or the bank book or the income and expense ledgers, you have a hard copy receipt. That's, that's your direct link. Nothing goes in the books without a receipt. You have to have a receipt. It's, it's the paper trail. We call it paper trail, don't we? So it's actually quite easy to see um, when you keep file your receipts. It's quite easy to see when you're at the end of the month reconciling. Has this receipt been, been entered? Because it has to be entered in two places. And if it's a cash receipt, it's in the cash book, and it's for whatever was bought with that cash. So there's, it's such a physical, tangible thing. Um, it's not abstract, it's not theoretical. There's your receipt, it needs to be two places, bank book or cash book, and somewhere in the income or expense list. So that, that, that direct link makes things easier for everyone to understand. Say that again. It has to be in two places, or do you repeat that? Yeah. So you know. So remember, we when we said um, double entry accounting. Why double entry? You asked very aptly. Um, why? Because we need to understand. We need to always know how much money we have, right? And we know that by we write it in our cash book or our bank book. We, the money you have is either in cash or in the bank, usually, right? There's two places to have money. It's either in cash or it's in the bank. So by adding the cap, what you have in cash with what you have in the bank, you know how much money you have. So to, we need to track that. We also need to track where we spent money, right? And that relates to the, don the reports we generate for our donors. So we have to enter it twice because we have to always track money in and out of our cash or in and out of our bank. It's, a lot of people, I should say, petty cash. Petty cash or bank. Always tracking that with any time we spend money or receive money, and always tracking where that money went. So, did it go to buy phone cards? Did it go to pay rent? That's why it's twice. We have to write where it came from, cash or bank, and we have to write track where, how it was spent, on what line item. That's why we enter things twice. Well, in addition to donors wanting to know how we used our money. Um, it's required in reporting about a grant that you've gotten. Um, yes. So, so um, can you set up an accounting system um, for each project under an entity, or is there like one accounting system for everything? For, for one donor? Or I'm, I'm thinking about a project uh, that would be a grant yeah. or a hunger project in a neighborhood. So it's kind of a single project. Would you incorporate that into your system holistically, or would you set up a separate system for tracking that grant? We definitely have to set up your cash in your bank. You can have uh, one cash book, one bank book. Um, you can put all your, if a donor doesn't insist on a separate bank account, you can put, you can just have one cash book, one bank book. But you must set up an uh, income and expense ledger for each donor. So let's say in your example, um, there's a community group and they're doing some um, work in the community for feed, you said feeding hungry people, a food bank or something. Um, if they're getting money from another donor to do, let's say literacy work, they would need to set up an income and expense ledger just to track the income from that donor and how that money was spent. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so let's say the um, literacy the literacy donor said we, we're going to we're going to reimburse you for books and um, computers and um, some electricity and some of your rent portion of your rent like those four things you would have those four expense ledgers just to track how you spent that donor's money and then an income ledger to really um, track each time that donor gave you a tranche a funding tranche how much they gave you when they gave it to you. I guess, Russell, in your experience, you found there's probably some some um, gray area, and I don't think it's lack of intent. It's probably people think, oh, we're doing good work for others, and so they're not really diligent about where does this penny go, where does that penny go. Um, so they haven't really set up a, a system because they're afraid of it. So what does this sound like to you? Well, you know, anytime you get a system out there, a lot of the the, the onus on measuring and tracking things falls on the people who are actually delivering the services. So they've got real people in front of them. Uh, they've got problems, they've got issues, they've got real people in front of them. And uh, they're, they're working feverishly to make a difference. Uh, and, and the vast majority of them are going to be non-accountants. And the way an accounting system works, you have all of these different ledgers. To, to answer that question, you have ledgers, you have a general ledger that everything goes in, but you have separate le uh, ledgers for, for different things. You have a ledger for travel, you have a ledger for office supplies, yeah. So, but this system, the beauty of this is that it, it backs out of that to, to, to boil this down to the lowest denominator that can be used effectively so that all of that reporting is captured without uh, getting stuck in the language and, and the technicalities of accounting. Uh, the, the best part about it is that when you have something that's this, that is simplified and easy to use, that people are going to use it. If it's complicated, people are going to shy away from that, even if it's subconsciously and they just avoid doing it. And so, uh, but with, with getting the knowledge out, I think that's an interesting aspect uh, of what, what you're doing, Suzanne, is, is getting that knowledge out because more people need it. So talk a little bit about how it is that that the system is is taught to folks out there in the field. Yeah, thank you. So I'm a, I'm a trainer by nature, um, not an accountant. Um, I, I worked with an accountant, financial person to develop this system, but my heart and my soul is really training in that. So obviously I'm putting a, the bulk of my attention on which the system's already been created. Now it's getting it out there, doing the training and, um, I have an Accountable Partners Academy. It's a year-long training program um, for donors and larger NGOs um, where I would go and my team, one of my team members would go three times to visit that project and train um, the trainers, train the trainers of that NGO or that donor, those people who then go out to the community groups. So I'm training the trainers, we're training the mentors. And we... It lasts a year because, as we talked about, things happen. You know, you can't, it's not one and done. And I think um, I saw a lot of that 
and I've seen a lot of that in my, in my career overseas, is that we send people to a training for a week or four days, and then we say, tick the box, they're trained, great, go do it. Best of luck. And we know people don't learn like that. We know that people learn by repetition. We know that people learn by applying their knowledge and really problem solving through when they get stuck and having the support to do that. So our training is, uh, the academy itself is three trainings um, spaced evenly over a year and then e-learning um, you know, through Zoom calls um, to help people address whatever obstacles they're encountering as they train their community groups. Because things like, we talked about things happen in the field, things come up that are surprises and, and how do you deal with it? So it's really a, a year long program to get the trainers up to speed as they get their community groups up to speed. So that's, the academy is one way we disseminate information. There's other organizations that, um, small organizations that I can just completely do on, you know, train online with e-learning. But again, so I don't have to visit them in the field, maybe, you know, for budgetary reasons. But again, because I'm a trainer, I know that that ongoing support is so important. So we have a helpline so that no one's ever wondering what to do. Uh, you know, like you learn something, but okay, what? Well, give, give us a call. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll arrange a, you know, arrange a meeting with you um, to go over your problems specifically. And then we'll also have, um, between our trainings, we'll have the, the, those Zoom calls um, for the group. So for me, they're really the crux of learning is that individual attention, um, training over time, so no one's left to their own devices for very long struggling. We don't want people to struggle and wonder and be confused. They have questions, they'll get answers. Um, so that's how, there's really two ways of doing it. We can do the, the um, in-person trainings for the larger donors and larger NGOs, and then we can do e um, Zoom calls and do online trainings for the smaller organizations. And I have a, the system I've created, I actually have the, um, I can send people the book, the cash book and bank book, the income ledger, the expense ledgers. I can send those to people and customize it to the amount of, um, for the, for the expense ledger particularly, how many um, expense items are you tracking? We can customize that book to you and send it to you. I remember, I, I remember some people using accounting that's cash and envelopes with, you know, lines on the outside. And um, so why wouldn't somebody just use uh, Excel for accounting? That's a great question. Um, you know, individually, I think definitely for an individual person, Excel is great. Um, what happens, what we've seen in the field, uh, what I saw in Mozambique, is that money was getting, we actually saw some corruption issues using Excel. And what, what, one thing we saw happening is, again, one, only one person knew how to use it, and they would generate a report, and then they would change the information to generate a new report. So there's ways around that. So if someone, if there's a community group using Excel, I'm not telling people don't, don't use it. I want to make sure several people know how to use it. And, and then there's um, some safety precautions, is that reports are printed out, dated, and signed. So they can't be changed retroactively and reprinted. So if, we, if someone was going to use Excel, I would say, you know, look at our system and put our system into Excel. But again, cross-train four people. I don't want one person, only one person in the organization having all that power 
for corruption reasons. And also, like we said, if they leave, the system crashes. So I do think um, our simplified system can be put in Excel. But again, I want uh, four people to be really comfortable in Excel. And then we want to follow some safety protocols of um, printing things, um, binding them, signing them um, to make sure that nothing is done retroactively. And so those are some of the problems we saw with Excel. I think um, to your point, several people have already asked me, when's the app coming out? <laughs> and um, the system could be on an app. And I think that really is the next, um, probably the next project for us is to uh, find a donor and work with a donor who's willing to, you know, fund an app because um, there are, there are, the telephone is so um, powerful right now. And so many people all over the world have smartphones and people are doing banking on their phones. So there are, there probably are community groups out there who an app that mimicked or mirrored exactly the simple system would be a good option for. But until then, I really do, I think handwriting is so transparent and so easy. So there's a couple of things that come to mind, and maybe Russ will talk about this more, but it's the uh, being um, audit ready. You know, somebody comes knocking on the door, it's going to do an audit, like the agency that has three letters starts with I. Um, you want to be audit ready. So have, having accurate, accurate records that are transparent and accountable, like you're talking about. The, um, the other piece, I, uh, so maybe Russ will explore that with you, but before that, um, there's, there's myths that, that we have in, in nonprofit world. You can't spend money on marketing. You pay, can't pay adequate salaries. And there's the myth about overhead. And so some of the stuff we do is 100% for clients. And so it's kind of a pass-through. And to say that's overhead is ludicrous. And so it's, it's, it's a method. It's a, it's a result of how you classify it in accounting. So have you come up to any wisdom on how do you classify what's overhead and what's not overhead? You know, the groups that we worked with, um, that we're working with are so, that's such a good question. And I think it's a really important question. Um, I, have, I have a little, overhead is important. <laughs> like someone has to keep the lights on, right? So I think overhead says, oh, overhead is bad, almost like a bad thing, you know, keep it down. And, I actually do volunteer work for an organization where um, it's basically a one-man show and um, he's saving so many lives in Tibet. Uh, he has hired two doctors to run a clinic. If you count his salary as overhead, right, the director, because he's not at the clinic, right? He's raising the money. But you know how many people are alive because of him? So, you know, if the work is being done, and the work is good and important. And it, it, maybe there's overhead. Maybe there's more than 15% overhead. Maybe there's 20 or 25 or 30. But if the work is important and it's in volume and it's getting done, I'm like, I have no problem at all because it took those things to make that happen. So, yeah. So um, have I found how to classify overhead? You know, we work with such small organizations um, that we the donors actually in the budget lines aren't even looking at, there's no, over, there's no line for overhead. It's, they really fund direct, very direct things, right? Very concrete um, outputs. 
Russell, you got any wisdom on either one of these being account um, audit ready, or how do you classify overhead? Well, you know, overhead, you, you obviously the the person that's delivering the service has to eat, and uh, you know, you have to have a location that you deliver the services from. In many instances, uh, and these are things that are typically lumped into this huge category called overhead. And you can't really deliver programs effectively without a structure or without things to support that. And that's particularly troublesome for smaller organizations, you know, uh, as really just being accountable has been. But now with this simplified system, and that's gone out there to some smaller grassroots, you know, one of the things I'm curious about, uh, Suzanne, is how the availability of something that's this user-friendly uh, has changed some of the conversation with these smaller organizations about keeping track of things. What's the impact that you've seen that that, that has made? Donors are um, more willing to uh, fund multiple times. One of the big obstacles that we saw without a, a system like this is there's the trust aspect not really there. You know, you can go on the ground and see that they're doing the work and that's great. Okay, the work is being done. But they don't have all the receipts. At the end of the month, there is no paper trail. It's not the, there's no transparency, missing information. And so the donors kind of wince and maybe hobble along and maybe give them a little more money. But with the system, um, community groups get more money and they get more money over time. What have been some of the biggest changes around the people that are actually delivering the services or using that? Has you seen an attitudinal uh, shift with them? How has that impacted how they do their work? It's a big relief. Um, <laughs> I'd say it's a big relief because, as you said, um, in the beginning, the people who are running these organizations are very good at, at doing what they do. They're not accountants. And the accountancy was always the boogeyman. And there's stress, and is it, is it right? And where's this, what am I supposed to do? And I'm confused, and all the, you know, and it's scary. And it makes people nervous. And they're not bad people, and they're not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. They simply don't know how to do that because they're a nurse, or they're digging wells, or they're doing what they do well. So to create a simple system, we saw lots of smiles. And like I said, we're cross-training, you know, Four, four, let's say four people in the organization. So all of a sudden, if I don't know something, I can look to my partner who was also trained and maybe they know. And then we also linked, probably really, really importantly, when we train community groups, we link them together. So that, because the, there's always someone who really gets the system fast, like it just kind of all clicks. And then other people take a little longer. So peer-to-peer -peer learning has been really important. And um, just, it's a great resource. They don't have to call me. They can ask in their own language. Um, you know, we taught this in Portuguese, but people are speaking local languages and they can actually talk among themselves in local language. Um, so I, I found, I think relief is the biggest uh, component of the people using the system. Taking the leap, is that what you said? Relief, the feeling of relief. Really? Relief of not being confused and um, con confused about what to do, and is this report what you're looking for? Confusion and clutter cost more money than people realize. 
Oh, goodness. So this is a lot of useful information that's um, um, way over on the practical side. So what what prompted you to come to the U.S., back to the U.S. from Mozambique? Is that where you were last? I was in Afghanistan last. Actually. Oh, my. I got married um, to a Brit, and um, I came back to the States really for the first time. Um, and uh, that was because I married a Brit, and he, he started his immigration process. Um, and we had to be here for that. So that was the impetus to, to leave the um, developing world and put our roots down in America for a while. Wow. Yeah. That's a happy turn of events. Um, and so you landed in, um, I guess you're in Denver. You have a 303 area code. I'm in Boulder, yeah. Boulder. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, this is, um, I thank you, Russell, for connecting us with Suzanne. Uh, Suzanne, I'm going to talk about our sponsor today um, and, and one of the programs that we have coming up. And then we'll ask you to leave a, a challenge or a closing thought or a tip for people as, uh, as we exit this very, very helpful interview. And then Russell will sign us off. Um, we're, we've been talking to Suzanne Smith, a uh, person... Uh, Who's got? Who's a social entrepreneur? She sees a need and she fills it with value, and it's quite quite gratifying to hear your story. Um, our sponsor is our our marketing partner, WordSprint. WordSprint.com. They print the nonprofit Performance 360 magazine, but moreover, they're a mailing house. It's called Top of Mind Marketing. Your donors remain donors because they hear how you're doing. So the right message to the right person in the right rhythm. They want to hear from you, not once a year when you ask for money, but they want to hear what you're doing with their money. It's a different level of accountable that um, Suzanne's talking about. We want to track the money. And really, if we don't track it and have transparency, people don't want to give you their money. So we want to tell them what's the result, what's the impact. Money has ears and it listens for impact. It, lis listen, it listens for cause and purpose and results. So Bill Gilmer at wordsprint.com and his team, they print for colleges, large nonprofits, small organizations. And if you're willing to commit to a regular program for a year, you will see that your donors not only stay with you, but they raise the bar <coughs> on their mount, <coughs> excuse me, and they invite others because they're convinced that it's a worthy, worthy gift. Wordsprint.com uh, is our sponsor for a magazine and the nonprofit exchange. We're also, Russell and I are going to be live. Um, we show up live and virtual for webinars and live events. We're going to be in Florida. So the, the next events coming up are um, leadershipwestpalm.org, like West Palm Beach, Florida. Leadershipwestpalm.org, if you're in that area, if you're over in the central part of the state, orlandoleadership.live. We're going to be there and we're going to share some wisdom with, with a whole bunch of nonprofit leaders in the area. And you could be, you could be present and be there. You could join our community. If you want to see Suzanne on the, the video and a replay or get their podcast, go to the, it's the word T-H-E, the nonprofit exchange.org. And that will take you to the page where the summary is and the bottom of the page, you can get all of the previous episodes of the nonprofit exchange. But at the top of that page, it says join, and this is a community for nonprofit leaders and clergy. It's for those of us who are making a difference in the world. And we can be together, we can talk, we can share ideas, and we can learn either 
separately or together. So if you go to vnonprofitexchange.org, click on the join button. You can join for free. There's three different levels. Each level, you get a whole lot more value. And if you join at any level, you'll get my free program that I sell for $100. It's called Five Pillars for Success, what you need. And one of those pillars is financial. You gotta have a really good accountable system, accountability for even money that people give us. So um, one time somebody, um, when I, I, I did church music ministry for years and was in the choir, and one day somebody heard me singing and they said, Hugh, what did you do with the money? And I said, what money? The money your mother gave you for singing lessons. So there was, in fact, that's probably lack of accountability, I guess. So Suzanne, how do we want to leave people? What thought do you want to leave with people? Or how do you want to challenge them to think at a higher level? I think that two things really. One is that uh, paper-based accounting system although it may look like you're going backwards, we're actually going forwards. We're going forwards towards transparency, towards accessibility, and towards sustainability. As paper-based system is sustainable when many people in your organization can learn it, understand it, open the books. It creates transparency within the organization and a paper-based system can create transparency between you and the donor or the, the community organization and the donor. So I, like I'm challenging people to rethink doing accounting on a computer for small community groups. And I think a paper-based system often is a much better uh, term. The other thing I'd like to put out there is one of the missions of my, my organization is to create one single accounting system for all community-based organizations so that different donors would, will, not, will no longer be teaching different kinds of accounting systems to their community groups. That we could all agree that one system for all community groups and all the donors would accept it. So that's, that's a larger mission. And if people are interested in hearing more about that or joining the cause, I'd love to hear from you. And I wanna give an offer to the listeners of this podcast. And the offer is that I'll, I'd love to talk to you and see if your uh, community group or you as a donor um, have me, a need for our system. So I'd like to offer a 45-minute call um, with me to assess the issues you're having with accounting and to see if my accounting system wouldn't solve a lot of your issues. So my, um, I think my email is on the link, but it's Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, at accountablepartners.com. So please drop me a line and let me know if you'd like to speak with me. It's Accountable Partners. That's her website. Accountablepartners.com is her website. And Russell, I forgot to mention the uh, we're preparing, uh, taking content for the next issue of Nonprofit Professional Performance 360 magazine. And uh, Suzanne doesn't know it yet, but we're doing articles on startups. And she probably ought to have an article there about how you need to start out with a good solid accounting system. So, uh, Suzanne, you'll be hearing from Sandy about that. Russell, I'm going to let you have that. Right. Well, again, it's been a remarkable broadcast. We've got Suzanne, you, you're remarkable. Thank you for sharing some time with us today. Uh, I, like she mentioned, there are a lot of you out there. You're doing remarkable work. 
And I know that here at home, a lot of us have access to computer systems, but I would give the, give the thought to maybe looking at a simple system like this so that everybody's thinking about how to account for things and how to account for money, something that's really simple because it can help improve the, the information that you're getting and the understanding of measuring what it is that you do. And the better you can measure and explain and show donors and funders the value you're bringing them, the more money they're going to want to send you. So yet again, we are here. Join us here next Tuesday, every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. We have the Nonprofit Exchange right here where we bring you other thought leaders like Suzanne to help you get access to tools and other things that are going to help you serve the people you're serving out there. I want to thank you for doing that again. If you can't be here at 2 o'clock, remember, you can always go to thenonprofitexchange.org and find our podcast information. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher so that you never miss an episode of this show. So until then, the next time we meet, keep making that difference that you're making, and we will see you again next week on the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.